0: that's good that's
1: the best one yeah <laughs> woohoo we're getting better
0: i just already got it right said that. <laughs> <laughs> all right
1: um i totally lost track what was your question again <laughs> i'm heidi berkey and i'm rachel Goble and this is the ethical
0: storytelling podcast <laughs> gotta keep it fun <laughs> So in today's podcast, uh, this was one long conversation that we've edited into three different sections based on kind of the themes that emerged in the conversation. And so today we're going to be talking about hope and what is um, our hope for donors and NGO and constituent relationships um, as we look at our relationships and giving through the lens of ethical storytelling. So we'll see where it goes.
1: So... The work through the freedom story, you are providing um, hope for the students in a lot of ways. You're giving them an opportunity to excel as human beings, to flourish, whatever language you want to use. But the point is these uh, uh, boys and girls and uh, that turn into young men and young women have a hope for the future because you exist there. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty well defined for your organization. It's probably pretty well defined for most organizations, but I just keep getting back to that triangle. Um, We have a responsibility towards the donors as well. So where's that hope for the donor? What what can you do as the leader of a nonprofit organization that provides hope for the donor? Hmm.
0: So I think that from what I've heard from my perspective, donors are starting to experience donor fatigue you're right and i think a lot of that and this is theorized and i'd love for somebody to actually spend some time doing research on this because i think it would be so fascinating but i believe that that donor fatigue is coming from a place of having heard inauthentic and or sensationalized stories for so long and not actually um being respected as a thoughtful and lived human with their own experiences that has the capacity of understanding nuance and failure and success and everything that happens in an NGO and instead they're protected from that and only told these and I'm obviously kind of being hyperbolic in this but only told these stories right that um, will generate an emotion so that they give and so as I think about where the hope for a donor lies at least from an organizational how we would like to continue to build relationships with donors is an actual invitation into the messy. And when I say that, (laughs) it's good. When I say that, I mean that obviously as an organization that works with vulnerable children, we're not going to just introduce the vulnerable children to donors. Like that's just not something we're ever going to do. That would break our child protection policies. So that's not at all what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that in my relationships and our staff's relationships, um, even in the way that we write blogs or produce film, I think it's our job as an organization to tell the truth and to do it from a place of this is maybe what happened, or these are how patterns are changing. Or, you know, 10 years ago, traffickers' tactics looked like this, but now they look like this. And this is the impact it's having on our community. And this is how we're responding to it. This is where the gaps are. Um, And it might not be the best story, and it might not be as engaging as, you know, a five minute film that's a complete success story. But at the end of the day, it's truth telling, and it's actually respecting the fact that donors have brains and want to understand. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I think that the NGO NGO world has forgotten that. Like, yeah, I think the NGO world completely. has gotten incredibly manipulative. Yeah, um, and, and it's worked, and it's but it's worked, and that's the part that's um, like mind boggling to me is that yeah. it has worked. But now I, I think that that's short lived, right? So it's worked in these organizations that have been incredibly manipulative, um, are starting to flatline. And right. it's the small, you know, Freedom Stories and Pathlights and other organizations we've probably never heard of because they've stayed small. Right. <laughs> but right. have actually built deep trusting relationships with both donors and constituents and their NGO staff, um, and haven't necessarily experienced that scalability, but have experienced steadiness.
1: Yeah. So It do you think there's an element too that the donor fatigue comes from, um, just all the different venues that donors are now hit on? I mean, it, I don't, I've lost track how many friends I have on Facebook, but it seems like every single day I sign on to Facebook and there's three people that are doing a birthday fundraiser, yeah, and um. And they're always for really good organizations, but yeah. good grief. At some yeah. point you go, enough, enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we've, we're getting hit by social media. We're getting hit by mail. We're getting hit with text messages. Every venue now seems to be exploited. Yeah. And, um, and I use that word intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that part of the donor fatigue that at some point I think hope kind of gets lost in that message because we just sort of... We're just numb to all mm-hmm. that we hear and see.
0: I think so. Because I, I even feel it. And I'm not somebody that people are coming to looking for money from. Mm-hmm. And so, I, but I feel that even. And so, abso- absolutely. I think that part of what we're navigating in this whole kind of broader conversation of ethical storytelling, um, donors, constituents, NGOs, like all of this is the shift in, in technology and how that's influenced our communications because you know 30 years ago we were sending out mass snail mail letters right. and that was expensive you had to have yeah. resources to do it um, or in our case you had to have me stuffing envelopes that's right we on.
1: we use child labor back in those days that's right here kid start uh, stuffing envelopes yeah but
0: you had to have resources to be able to do that and it actually have addresses and right. it was just a lot more laborious and so therefore probably more thoughtful. Mm -hmm. And now it is so easy to take a picture with your iPhone and put it online and start a fundraiser. You can do all of that within two minutes. Right. And it's just become so much more accessible that people and people by nature want to give they, people want to be involved in something meaningful, meaningful. People want to make a difference. And so I think that that's the beautiful part of it is that people now have so much more access to that. But the exhausting part of it is that it has become, I think, much more commodified and that we are seeing the importance of investing in, you know, beautiful imagery and beautiful videos um, because everything's online yeah, and that's where people consume. But I think what happens is that, or I would say the danger is that it only stays online right. and that it doesn't go to the table. It doesn't go... Um, to actually meeting with someone over a cup of coffee. And it, it, that's, I think, where the relationship begins. And that's where I would hope that um, donors and NGOs would start to recognize and kind of go back to those values of what does it mean to sit with one another and share stories that are real and for me to go to our donors and to say here is where we're struggling, here's our gaps, but here's the successes and growth that we've seen as well. Um, and that's you can't communicate that online Um, no. that is that's meant for a conversation across a table or a phone call or whatever
1: So so. As, so as a nonprofit leader I think we need to own the responsibility of providing hope for the people we want to serve Yeah, but also to provide hope for the donor. Absolutely. What does that look like? What is the hope for the donor that we want to achieve?
0: I would say that it's a human connection And I would also say that it's progress. But at the same time, when I say progress, I don't necessarily mean the kind of linear success story that we always hear, but rather the understanding and all of us in the NGO space understand that progress means one step forward and two steps back. (laughs) And how do we tell that story of progress? Not just the story of progress that says, you know, we're in an organization, you invested in us, we met the student and now they're fixed or they're better or like whatever. Right. Um, But rather, how do we tell the story of progress that reminds all of us that we're human? So that when I'm sharing the story of one of our students, um, that there is a, hey, we can all relate to this because we've all been there before aspect, Um, not just a, oh, yeah, now she's great and she graduated and... You know, everything's fine in her life because we came into it and you gave us money, which I think is the stories that have been told. Um, but instead, how do we bring back that human connection yeah. to it to remind us of our own humanity?
1: Right. I think there's a fine line we have to follow, too. I, I just was thinking of a conference, a meeting I had this morning with um, uh, two development donors from an organization that I won't mention, but... um they really wanted to educate me about their work, mm-hmm. and I found myself correcting them. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not to say that I'm, you know, a know-it-all by any means, but um, I got so frustrated with their condensation mm. uh, condensation. Yeah. Can, what am I trying to say? They uh, talked it down to you?: Yes, they talked down to me. <laughs> it was horrible. Um, and while, I appreciated their attempt to bring a sense of hope into my life about what uh, my gift would do. Mm. I appreciated the attempt sincerely, but I knew more about the direct impact than they did mm. and they didn't take the time to figure that out. So so yeah.
0: maybe along that same line, as a donor, um, what do you wish that NGOs knew when it comes to sharing stories with donors?
1: Well, I think you said something along these lines earlier. Donors are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. Mm. Um, and we also said earlier, there's a sometimes a language barrier between the language of the philanthropy world mm-hmm. and the language of the donor world. Mm-hmm. I speak tend to speak more in business terms. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and donors, I mean, uh, nonprofits don't. Mm-hmm. So there's this sort of mix mm-hmm. that happens. And... Um, uh, trying to uh, convince—I don't know. Let's just use something that's a, a, a great stereotype. Trying to convince a donor development person from an academic institution that I actually do know a little something about education and academics um, is uh, is sometimes difficult, and I and I just begin to tune out and don't listen anymore.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I, I wish I wish uh, nonprofits would listen to their donors. Um, not so much in terms of their opinion about how to run their organization, because I know that can get really old really fast, but in terms of what the donor's heart really is. Mm-hmm. And then I wish more nonprofits would listen to that and say, you know what, you probably shouldn't donate to us. Yeah. Uh, I, I, there's another group here, right. go look them up. Yeah. And I've had people do that, um, both on both sides of that. When I've worked with donors, I've had people go, look, Roy, I really admire what you guys are doing, but we are all about the arts or we are all about microfinance. And you guys don't do that. I go, great, wonderful. And I would feel as if I were wearing the hat of a donor development person, I would feel like it's my obligation, my responsibility to provide hope for the donor by connecting that person to the thing that brings life to them. Mm
0: -hmm. Is there anything else that you feel like you need to say that you didn't say? Buy my book. You want to give a quick plug? Yeah, that's true. Why don't I do it? Because otherwise it sounds too markety for me. So if anybody is interested in maybe digging into some of this a little bit more, my dad actually wrote a book called Junkyard Wisdom. And the um, subtitle to it, I think, explains it better than the title. But it says, Resisting the Whisper of Wealth in a World of Broken Parts. And I appreciate the vulnerability um, and honesty of both my dad and my mom because even though mom didn't write the book she still had a lot of say in the book um and just navigating their wealth um and generosity as part of their faith and so if you're interested as a donor especially um and maybe digging into some of this a little bit deeper this is maybe one good resource for you and when you're done with that go check out ethicalstorytelling.com for more resources and to subscribe to our mailing list and most of all tell your friends about ethical storytelling it's small and a labor of love We all do this because we want to see change, so help us spread the word with your family and friends.